Wow. All of this coming out on our third podcast. <sighs> How embarrassing. Is this the second? I thought that was episode zero. Oh, yeah. This is, this well, is two. the third one we've done, but this is episode two this because two. that's not confusing numbering. I'm confused already. I think we started out confused. already so far in the weeds <laughs> well it's good that's good yeah welcome to animal noises my name is ringer my name is path this is a podcast about furry culture i'm a hyena not that you would have known by listening to it so far there's no culture here no none there is we are furries though we are we qualify for that first part which is why we're doing this it is uh do we have other reasons for doing this <laughs> Fame and fortune. Fame. Right? Oh, God. Glory. That sweet podcast money. <laughs> we are awaited in Valhalla. Yeah. Hey, Pat. Yeah. We have a topic. We have a topic. The topic is Midwest Fur Fest, a convention that we were both at. Yeah. We saw each other in real life. Oh, my goodness. We briefly considered doing a recording there, and then we both realized that that was not a good idea. Yeah, I don't think either of us would have had we would have been so distracted yeah in in retrospect it continues to not have been a good idea yeah um mff is so distracting it's the most distracting convention that i've ever been to now official now it's officially the most distracting convention because i think the level of distractions is pretty much proportional to the attendance right i think so and and i everyone's so squished into that that lobby area which is why it's such a good convention you see everybody in that one area did, did you know that the sponsor package this year came with an awful cold? So they're offering that now. See, I didn't sponsor mm. and I still got the cold. And I'm so I think somebody may have like slipped it to me under the table. Well, that was good of them. Uh, I mean, it's good to. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, mine kicked in uh, Saturday morning, I would say. Yeah. Um, but. I'm glad that it didn't like affect things too much. Like I was a little gross on the way home. Uh, like the flight wasn't great, but then I got home and I was just a little gross on the way home. Well, like, you know how, when you get a cold and then you get to that point where you're either way too warm or way too cold and touching anything is just painful and you just want to curl up in the smallest of balls. And I think you got a worse, uh, you might have gotten the super sponsor package. Oh, uh, well, no, I think that's just a, a thing that you get with a cold. And mine this time only lasted for about two hours. But it also happened to be the two hours that I was on the plane. Well, that's the best time, right? Because the people around you get to enjoy your misery with you. Yeah. So I just kind of like huddled to myself and hoped that we would be back in Minnesota soon so we could go run to the car and drive home. But um, overall... It was really good. The cold didn't get in the way too much, so for that I'm thankful. Uh, did you? So you're cold. You're you're still getting over yours as well. Uh, oh, I'm in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, why okay. it sounds so good right I'm, now. That's yeah. I would say I'm I'm on the tail end of mine, but it hasn't gone away enough for me to have my normal voice back. So we both get to have kind of the sexy cold podcast. I like voice. This. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's like a I warm really, soup for the ears. It's, it's sensual. Mm-hmm. Uh, sensual is what I'm, I would have called it. 
I want to say that I, I apologize in advance because by the time we record next time, this will probably be gone. So just enjoy it while you can. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of a podcast is you can go back and listen to the, the good ones, right? If we have one. We'll make sure to tag this as both of us have colds so you know where the, the true audio gold is. Yeah. Uh, MFF, a lot of, a lot of people got... I, I didn't think I was going to get sick. Because it took like a week to set in, and then I super did. Yeah, see, like I'm not convinced. Yours is yours is kind of in that fuzzy area of of maybe it's not concrud. That might just be you got a cold from somebody at work. But if I can blame MFF, I mean that's part of the benefit of having gone, right? That is that is true. Yeah, uh, it's not a convention unless you can blame it for something that has gone awry in your life. Like you don't have you don't have any money now, and it's all the convention's mm-hmm, fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've run out of time. You spent that's because you were too busy preparing for the convention, and then you were at the convention, and now you're back, but you're still you've got PCD, so you can't right. uh, you can't function. I mean, depression. Mm-hmm. You can blame that on the con because it's over. Uh huh. And uh, also, I uh, I was on a very good diet before MFF, but now MFF's taken that away from me, right? Because that's I can blame that as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I mean, that's what you pay for. When you pay 500 bucks or so plus to go to a convention, you you pay for life excuses. <laughs> you get the scapegoat you package. You get the scapegoat package. I mean, that's part of the furry experience. You get to be, what kind of furry are you? I'm a scapegoat. Yeah, you. we really don't have any actual, like, literal scapegoats in the fandom. Uh, and I feel like that's maybe a bit of a missed opportunity because you could really play that character up if you wanted to. The scapegoat? The only problem is you would be a goat and goats are awful. Says the donkey. Yeah. Yeah. So that should say something. That should say something. <laughs> no apologies. None? No regrets. Not a single one. I was hoping for one there. Not for that specific okay. thing. I have a lot of regrets, but none about my stance on goats. Yeah. No, that's fair. Is it? No. Okay. <laughs> no, but that's the thing we tell each other to, to get, a, get us through the day. That's true. So I guess the whole point of MFF the entire time, it was just service boxes the entire time, right? We didn't say anything else. There was Yeah. Uh, it was just a registration line and service boxes. The, the registration line was actually filled with service boxes. You know, I, I didn't actually see the service box. A lot of people did. I did. Yeah. And it didn't occur to me how momentous it was at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know how big it was until like all social media talked about was this thing I hadn't seen. Which is the best feeling, too. At first, I was like, why are people complaining about service foxes? Isn't that the best thing ever? And then I realized they meant like an actual fox, and that that's when it went downhill. <laughs> you had a you had a different idea. I had a very different idea of what service foxes were... are gonna or what they're gonna do and and the what they're gonna help you out with, right? Very different. And it's still unclear exactly what they do help you out with. Uh, they get you uh, really popular on Twitter for a brief period of time. Looks like really. Do they, though? Because I don't even know who the person was who had one. I have no idea. So I don't feel like the popularity thing worked as well. As no, but they will forever be known as the person that did the service fox thing if they can prove that it was them. Yeah. Here's what I remember. I saw a thing and I was like, is that an actual fox? And then I thought. Well, is Albie here? And then I looked around and I said, well, none of these people look like Albie. And then I'm like, it must be somebody else's fox. And that's my recollection of the whole thing. And then somebody was talking to him about taking it away, I guess. Money can't buy a better story than that for a podcast. You can't make that stuff up. No, you can't. It's just because it's such a boring story. (laughs) Why would you make that up? Oh, and then what happened? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. Nothing No, this one person did this one dumb thing. And it just took over the news cycle for a good 24 hours. I mean, it's unfortunate. And I felt bad for the Fox. And that's a bad idea. What was the actual issue? Like, it wasn't 
a valid service well, animal yeah. and the guy just tried to yeah, bring it Yeah, the in, issue or... is it's not a it's not a valid service animal, but it's in such a weird place for the convention because you're dealing with uh, service animal laws, which are so vague and so ambiguous and so litigious uh-huh. that the con can't just throw you out for having a claimed service animal because it's, uh, I think their attorney would advise against it or be very careful with it or try to, you know, I think what they did was just kind of negotiate out of it because it's just, it's, it's a fearful thing to have your convention sued for, uh, ambiguous laws even though it's very clear to everyone around that this animal is just terrified and doesn't belong do you there. know whether this person had like the proper documentation for it or does that not even exist that's the thing though it's like there's 50 states and then none of them have certifications for service animals they all like say i mean you you can't even as a convention you can't even ask for papers if it's a service animal you can't uh, and you can buy patches for free yeah not for free that's i guess i i it wasn't something that i've done a lot of or really any research on so i'm kind of surprised to see that there's not any kind of certification process for that yeah and it's it's a well-meaning law like the idea is that we should allow people to have their service animals that they need to have to kind of function to get through the day and to make sure they can do that they have these protections that are very vague that allow them to kind of work it into the public sphere without getting uh picked on or harassed or questioned uh, but and all those good intentions, what we did was create an area where people can just bring their pets with a service animal vest that they bought online. Yeah. And and no one knows. No one really knows. I'm not questioning that there's a legitimate need for them, but I feel like if it's something that you, you truly are in need of, like to be able to have some sort of, you know, ID type thing that says this is a thing that's been recognized by state or whatever so people aren't just walking around like with random animals and and passing them off because that really i think works against the whole movement in the first place yeah if there's a convention with access to lawyers and uh police enforcement it's mff so if they if there was an easy quick fix there they would have had that down i think pretty quick so it's too bad like nothing else happened at the convention at all except for the Fox. So that was it. I think there were all the all the panels were canceled. There were no concerts. Uh, there were no fursuiters. They all went home uh, because that. Uh, yeah, they were like, we can't compete with this. That was it. Uh, if if you listen to Twitter that particular day, nothing else probably happened at the convention. I didn't really listen to Twitter because the cellular network and the Wi-Fi were so unreliable that to follow any of them uh, would not have been particularly successful. And I was already doing my best to try to keep up with people on Telegram. So anything else that was going on, I was basically unaware of for the most part. And actually, I don't regret that at all. I mean, having reliable uh, internet is nice, but to kind of tune out from social media as a whole, for the weekend and just kind of focus on the more immediate and focus on the people who are around you is really nice, especially at a convention. I think it's really important. What, what I normally see is that what's going on in social media has absolutely nothing to do with your experience at the convention. I have a feeling a lot of the people who are, who are kind of recirculating that sort of stuff are people who aren't at the convention right. anyway. Because they have time to do it. Because otherwise they'd be too busy, yeah. No, you're, you're there and you're enjoying yourself. You super don't have time to care about that stuff. The only thing you have time to do is send a funny meme and create a funny meme about the heaters and the skywalk. Right, yeah, yeah. Everyone found time to do that. Yeah, well. <laughs> that was good. That was a good time. It was a long walk. It was a long walk. So you had like a good 
five to ten minutes while you're while you're right. overheating. Uh, and if you're in a first right. seat, you're just dead. You're dead. It's done. Oh man, uh, yeah. But before that last breath, you managed to make that beam appear. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. hit send on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, it gets printed on your uh, your tombstone. Yeah, this was a uh, uh, this person was worth twenty five likes and three retweets. So MFF MFF heaters in the hallway heaters in the hallway you had your four hour registration lines four hour registration (laughs) how long did it take you to register i i went in late i went in pretty late so for me it was not long at all um on thursday night if you if you can time it if you wait if you wait for the right and i think that's part of the problem like at at mff too was everyone was kind of waiting for the line to go away yeah and it didn't and it didn't and they they were processing we had registration staffers who work for uh a convention that we're talking about how we'd have that done in like five hours. And I'm thinking like, Hey, they just did like your whole attendance in three hours. <laughs> like they're working through so many people right now. I mean, they need some scaling. And I think I, I did talk to them. there working with, with getting that scalability to kick in, but it's just, it's just tough. I mean, you just get overwhelmed. It was 20. I want to say it was like 23% growth. I thought I just pulled up the wiki for, and it was like, nine. Oh, was it nine? Okay. but it was still yeah. significant. So I think one of the issues that that seemed to happen was it was hard to tell exactly where the line was or that there were separate lines at first. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, I think, what, what scared us away from trying to register on Thursday at all because we were both pre-registered, but I don't know that there was a good indication that there were that there were separate lines. One thing, and I think we talked about this at the convention, is those end-of-line signs would be really handy if they told you what the line was for. Yeah, I like the end of line signs. I noticed AC used them. That's the first time I ever saw them. And then I saw them at MFF. But they, yeah, now they need that additional piece of information, which is what the hell are we lining up for? Because who knows? Like there were times I almost like just got in line to see where it was going because it was, I don't know, some event. Yeah, yeah. You And you can kind of infer from where the line is, but you can't be totally sure. <laughs> um. But yeah, we ended up uh, register or yeah, picking up our badges after lunch on Friday, and I think we only waited in line for about twenty or twenty-five minutes as regular non-sponsor pre-regs, which was not bad. Uh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, no. I know a lot of people were stuck in those lines for a while, and that's really frustrating at a convention where time is already at a premium. Yeah, it's frustrating for the staff, too, because they're in a lot of pressure. And then every person you're talking to for the first time has been in line for several hours. They're upset. They're confused. Yeah, it's it's not a fun experience for anybody. Like, I don't think you can sit there and, and look at MFF and be like, oh, they they really enjoyed how long they made me wait to register. Like, <laughs> there's no nobody benefits from this. No, no one. No one likes it. They're trying to figure that out, how to how to scale it up. And they also hate it because if your lines are long all weekend, nobody registers. Like there's a lot of people who just don't use the convention except for the space. Right. And they recognize that they're using the space and they want to support the convention. So it stays there because it brings all their friends to one area. So they, they want to register, but if you just don't give them an opportunity where it's easy enough, sometimes they just don't. They just yeah, that's, forget. That's rough. And that's already a step ahead of the people who figure that by not using or not taking advantage of any of the programming, they're not actually using the convention at all. Yeah. And I wonder how many people have figured that or been educated about that, I guess in the last two or three years, cause that's been, that's been a kind of a topic. It has been. Uh, and if it's not something that you're already familiar with, 
as as listeners, I mean, the the general argument from some people is that uh, the thing that you pay for at a convention is to go to programming, right? Which is wholly untrue. You're paying for the convention to be able to use the space in the first place. And if nobody was paying for the convention, the convention wouldn't exist and people would not all be gathered in that hotel that weekend. So to assume that if you're not going to programming, you don't owe anybody any money is very, very, very off base. Yeah, I, I guess because they figure like they can go in that hotel at any time and stand in those public areas at any time. So it must be free for everyone. But it's, you know, you can't stand there with thousands of people. Or, you know, they kick you out. I, I, I don't necessarily think they're being malicious about it. Although I think there are some people who just will not pay regardless. But I think it's kind of a naive point of view. And it's just something that that people need to be aware of. Like it's not it's not great for anybody if you do that. So don't do that. Yeah, I mean, if you stop putting you under like some extreme duress or hardship, well, that, then... and that kind of goes back to like if if that's going to put you into duress, then why are you at a convention? Yeah, <laughs> you have you have bigger problems because registration really is the cheapest part of going to a con. It like the room is really is hundred bucks. The the flight or the drive in is another fifty to three hundred depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Registration's like, I mean, I don't know if you've been to, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you've been to other conventions, like other kinds of conventions. I've, yeah, not, not a ton, uh, but I have been to a couple. Like they're expensive. They are. That is correct. That's weird. I, I get, I get sticker shock from that. Like I went to like this little local video game convention and it was, they wanted like 90 bucks. That was their basic attending. And that's normal. Like a lot of, a lot of conventions with the with the big pipeline issue right now is is uh we're a fandom with a lot of artists a lot of creation uh and there's a lot of money in the convention like the staffers don't get paid the, nobody gets paid except for the dealers really uh, a couple performers will there'll be some comps and things like that but uh the dealers dens they often fill they get more applications than they have spots they usually get those applications by about five minutes when they open <laughs> they open and they fill a hundred slots right. in five minutes right you know it's, it's really silly it's not surprising though i mean that's that's for the dealers uh to get into a convention like ac or, or mff is practically make or break uh and so of course they're going to be like sitting with their finger on the trigger ready to go and the hope that the hope is like it really feels like you're giving a better experience to your attendees if you're you're sort of jurying your dealers versus doing a first come first served. I don't know if anybody does first come first served. Uh, furry Fiesta really does actually. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of conventions will, uh, and it's it's usually because you get such a backlash from the community if you start jurying because they want to see like what's your what's your method who was involved with that who's making these subject calls right because they're really subjective calls and they're they're doing the best they can but uh these these artists that you are rejecting are are sometimes gonna have very large angry fan bases when you reject them mm -hmm. so that that gets a lot of fire so i mean if for some of the systems uh when they are first come first served uh sort of protect the convention a little bit from that that's sort of like subjective backlash. Yeah. Uh, but you do it also at the cost of like maybe having a higher quality dealer's. Yeah. That, so it's, it's, that's a big debate on how to handle uh, applications. And 
because you're overwhelmed. I mean, the market the market solution is not in place. It's filling up so quickly that I think for a to spend are, are charging maybe two hundred dollars for a table or two hundred fifty for a table, uh, and they they could be charging like six or seven hundred dollars or doing some kind of gamified auction system to where it's going to the, it's going to the dealers who know they're going to cover their their sales and then you want to say things like do we want you know don't don't just have people who are selling have people who are doing commissions don't just have people who are doing commissions make sure some people are selling some quick things too so it's it's really tricky it is yeah and that's i think you're right to to say first come first served makes it a lot easier to be like well you didn't get in because you weren't fast enough um like that's a very matter of fact very objective reason right uh but to say, oh, we already have enough dealers of this type and we don't think that we need another one and you didn't make the cut is the opposite. Uh, and it it might be the right call, but no one's going to feel good having to say it or hear it. Yeah, I don't I don't envy uh, dealers and leads at all. They have a very difficult job. Uh, they have a very difficult way of they have to they have to do the most uh, triage of any of any convention person yeah uh we had um we used to be involved with an art festival before we moved to minnesota and it was a similar idea i mean picture it being just one big dealer's den right uh and so you'd have artists who would uh submit an application and they'd send slides and stuff of their work and uh pay the application fee and then there was a day that would be spent with three or four people in a room uh, rating each of the artists and and that's how they decided who got into the show and who didn't uh, and I think it was somewhat weighted based on what had done well previous years and they tried to make sure that they were getting like a good variety of different media um, but it seems like that that definitely is a better way to kind of uh, maintain quality than to make it a first come first serve thing um but it's still like the infrastructure required is so different and you have to have people who are able to uh not only uh be willing to help make that cut but then uh enforce it yeah you have to make the cut you have to enforce it and and then how, pro- how transparent do you make that process do you i mean you tell people ideally you're telling people this is what our rating systems are but do you then go a step further and say, here's where you landed on that system, which would be great transparency, but also incredibly like dissatisfying for a lot of people to see. It's tough because like in, in on one hand, it might end up re- being really useful. I mean, I don't know that I'd necessarily just volunteer the information, but if a dealer didn't get in and said, hey, why didn't I get a space? And you could point to, hey, we have, you know, seven other people who are doing a similar thing. Uh, We have stuff that was proven to be a good seller last year. We looked at like the booth layout that you sent us and compared to the other ones, it wasn't quite, uh, it wasn't quite as up to spec. I mean, there's any number of reasons you could give. And as long as they're genuine reasons and can be provided uh, constructively, uh, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily going to ease the blow for the person who applied, but it will help them in the future. And I think that's kind of an important consideration as well. Yeah. Furry is always really difficult to navigate for things like that. That's how, that's how professional organizations would definitely behave every time. But these artists aren't 
usually living off their artwork. Some of them do, for sure. Some of them make very good livings off of it. Uh, but you'll, a lot of them, I mean, it's still considered like an artist sort of, I mean, hobbyist sort of like there's some money, but it's not big money. Uh, and, and the community is really big on saying like, you know, we don't like, would we have guests of honor in furry? Like they're usually not, except for a couple, couple big exceptions. Like they're usually not major players in like Hollywood or industry. They're usually like other furries. Uh, so it's just, it's difficult to, to create, uh, the, the feeling that this is becoming commercialized. Uh, the fandom has a reaction to that. That's not always helpful. Um, or positive, I guess I should say it's not positive for the conventions, like relations with the community. Sure. I can, I can understand that. And I think it brings up an interesting point too, where so much of the art is being done as a sort of hobby or maybe a side business. And there's no clearer reminder of that than when, uh, you try to have a business transaction with an artist and it's clear that like they're not running it as a business first and foremost. And it gets very frustrating. And so it kind of ties into all of this. Like if you're running your stuff as a business and you have the background of it and you have the experience of it, this sort of thing is a lot more useful to you in terms of the feedback that will help you get into further future conventions and and hopefully lead to better sales. But that's not where we're at for a lot of these people. That's not what their backgrounds are. Um and I think uh, this is probably a topic for another podcast, but it's hard to sometimes sometimes convince people that that's maybe going to be a helpful direction to shift their priorities if they want to, you know, be become more successful or make more of a career out of it. Yeah, and some of the weirdness in the fandom right now is uh, some of these artists are going into dealer stands and, and making thousands. Like some of the artist alley people are making thousands. Uh, so I mean, that's it. Cost them like you know, money to get there and money for you know, your time and your efforts. You're putting a lot of work into this, but you might be coming out of there with, if you're you know, really good or really well known two to two to $4,000. Uh, so it's sure, you know, it's becoming really big business. If you can, if you can roll from convention to convention and it's getting to the point where you can, if you could reliably do that, you could make a, a pretty decent living, although probably also very stressful and nomadic. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's its own thing too. But I mean, as, as more money is in furry, there's going to be weird things happening. And part of it is the dealer's dens are going to get more interesting in their selections and their, their selection techniques. And you're going to, I, I would imagine, and I don't know if this is true or not, this is way down the road. I would imagine that the, the conventions themselves will, and I don't know if this is possible actually, if they would start building resentment almost for the staff who are working for free when there's that much money going through the fandom everywhere else and you're getting these complaints about your performance for this thing you did for free. So I don't I don't know how much that's going to create friction or what that does down the road, but uh, I, they're already, I think the expectations and the demands and the the level of service that people want now from a furry convention uh, is much higher than I think it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the pay for the average staffer has gone from zero to zero. Yeah. Uh, they still have one job, two jobs, uh, and they do this on the side because they love doing it. But as it feels more like actual work and less of a labor of love, and there is all this money running through the fandom, uh, you wonder how many staffers are not going to feel like they're in the spirit of doing this anymore for what they do. Yeah. 
so that, that's way down the road, I think, because it's still, I think it's still at a level where it's, it's, it's really a, a fun, very fulfilling thing that you still feel like you're giving to something. But I wonder, does it ever get to that point? Oh, I'm sure. I, I think everybody has a different tolerance for it. Um, so like there might be people who reach that point because of the monetary issue like you brought up. But I think there are people every day who, who hit that point for other reasons. Um, you know, they feel like they're pouring their, themselves into this and they're not getting anything uh, of reasonable like equivalence out of it. And they just need to step away from it for a while. But I think the thing that happens with that is hopefully you've built a cycle where you've got new people coming on with some regularity. So when when people who have been spending some time doing stuff uh, need to take a break, you're not just left without staff at all. Um, so like I, I think what you're talking about is is maybe a much larger sort of exodus as a result of of something becoming very commercialized, but still not not paying people who are effectively doing jobs of employees uh and obviously we haven't reached that step yet but i think you're right that if things continue to grow and if if uh conventions continue to be successful that's a thing that that needs to be considered by the leadership yeah i, I think really the, the commercialization issue and i wouldn't even say commercialization in terms of money going through the cons i think that's pretty standard but i think commercialization in terms of the demands in the community and the way the community interacts with conventions yeah. is more of like a customer service sort of thing instead of like, Hey, I know you're helping us out with this. Uh, and it turns more towards like, do you even know what you're doing? And that sort of entitlement interaction that you're going to get from maybe 5% of your attendees. It's not a lot, but it ends up being like a significant portion of your interaction because right. happy attendees tend to not interact with you. Um, they're fine. Uh, so I wonder, I think that hits upper management more. I don't think, I don't think you see that as much as an operational staffer where people are generally going to be friendly and say, thank you quite a bit. And upper management gets that too, but you're also spending so much of the year trying to build these systems in a way that is pleasing to 8,000, 9,000 people uh, who are very demanding. Right. And then and then it gets derailed by a service fox. And then a service fox happens. <laughs> and then all your years of planning is destroyed because this little, this, this bastard brought an animal to the con and then just trolled the con. I mean, that's that was I don't know if they intended to or what was going on there, but that seems like just pure it's trolling. It's just impossible it's, to tell what people's motives are anymore. Like who knows? Yeah, and I don't care really. Like what are you doing? <laughs> I I generally just choose to believe people didn't have a clue, and they were like, "This will be fine, right?" And then it wasn't fine, and they're like, "I can't believe it wasn't fine." Yeah, and it's not like, "Oh, thanks for showing me that it wasn't fine." It's always like, "I can't believe these people." did these things to me i'm such a victim how dare you yeah and probably not that many people had to deal with that situation but i mean even as a staffer if all you're reading about the convention you put on is like how bad your convention is because you won't throw this person out of your con right i mean first besides being a vast misunderstanding of how it works it's also just disheartening to watch and read and think like what am i doing here uh, but at the same time, you also like have all these people enjoying themselves and building relationships and some people meeting their, their love of their life for the first time. You have all these life stories unfolding. You have people unwinding. You have people writing these, these logs, uh, these journals afterwards of uh, how this was something they really needed and they turned their life around. And it has all these really positive effects, but you don't get that immediately in the moment. You kind of get that over time. And that's what, that's what most staffers are doing it for is that that bigger story of you had an impact on the world that was 
sometimes subtle and sometimes very extreme. And to, to that point, uh, my general takeaway after talking with people about the convention seemed to be that it was very good, if not one of the best conventions that they've ever attended. Uh, and also that I don't think anybody had enough time to do all the things that they were intending or wanting to do. Now you never have that much time to do all the things you want to do. It's not, I don't predict that it's going to get better for MFF. I mean, you're just, you've only got three or four days. <laughs> you can only do so much in each of those days. So you've just got to, you've got to make a count. And if you can't get to one of the things, you just have to, you know, let it go and move on to the next thing that you can get to and enjoy what you did. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, I definitely, I definitely had that feeling as well. Um, but at the same time, I, I walked away from the convention. I got on the plane and I felt good about what I had done. So that's what really matters. While you were coughing. Well, I don't think I ever actually had a cough. Not, not like a regular one. I, I think I had just like an occasional throat clearing situation um, for everybody who I think was really concerned about it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was good. Uh, I think most people... <laughs> every convention is the best con you've ever been to, right? That's, that's I don't sort know. of a, I, I, that's, that's why my experience is uh, every convention has people saying that. I can sit back and I can point to specific ones that were higher than the rest, but it was still very, very high. Like, uh, I think there are certain conventions where sort of landmark thing ha things happen uh, that make them stick out in your mind a little more. Um but in general, MFF especially is still like a steady upward climb each year. No, it was it was definitely uh, it was good, and of course it was landmark. Like we haven't said it, but I mean it was the largest furry convention that ever happened, which actually didn't feel like a huge no. thing when you were there. Uh, it just felt like generally about as big as AC is. Yeah, uh, it felt like a big convention. I think when you start getting to these numbers, like you get around the ten thousand mark and the the seven thousand, ten thousand, it just it just feels like a big con. Like it doesn't feel like overwhelmingly slammed with people. I think that might happen around 20,000. We talked, we talked about the dealers then. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about the space, which I think was really amazing. And to move all of the sort of commerce stuff across the street like that into the convention center was a really good way to pull people away from the main hotel. And that did a good job of, I think, keeping the main hotel from being too congested at any given time. Because there was always a lot of people across the street. Yeah, I heard a lot of people saying like, since we're since we're working so much in overflows now, because there's those five overflow hotels or four um, and more, really, because even the official overflows are only the official ones. Uh, people were using all the hotels in the area. Uh, if if you focus more on that convention center for more of your space, uh, you can build a convention where it doesn't matter as much what hotel you're in because it's more central to, to all of them the the hard part with that is you can't control what people decide to do and where they decide to congregate you have to kind of build it and incentivize and hope and the second difficult thing is the convention centers run into the three-digit cost uh, i think a lot of things were cut from mff's budget that weren't before because they had that convention center uh in, in much more than they did previously and it's uh that's not cheap. I mean, a hotel space, a hotel convention space is, I don't know for MFF, but I know for a lot of conventions, it runs between 
either free if you have a substantial amount of block build. Um, and that's certain hotels. Uh, usually, I want to say 10,000 upwards to 40, 50, 60,000. Uh, and, and when you start getting convention spaces, uh, those generally run 80 to like 150, 200,000. And, and that's, I mean, when you're talking about $40 an attendee, and on average about $85 per attendee because you get your super sponsors, uh, it's, it's substantial. That's a big head. So I don't know if they can afford to buy as much of the convention center as they need to move all of the, pro- or a significant amount of programming to, to that area. Did you say you had been to AC at one point? Yeah, I was at AC. Okay. Because what you're describing with with moving into the convention center as a central thing and and allowing it to kind of branch off to all the other hotels is the exact issue, I think, that happens with AC, um, where the convention center always has people in it, but it never feels like it's the place where all of the activity is. Um, Yeah. There's always a lot of like activity in the lobby at the Westin, which is like the, the main AC hotel for people who aren't dealers, it seems. And then the dealers kind of prefer a different hotel from my understanding. Um, yeah, the one right next to it. Yeah. So, and, and I think that also isn't helped by the fact that there, at least when I was there, there was a little bit of programming still in the Westin too, but it was just, it was so spread out and it didn't feel like anything was really, it didn't feel like the layout was really optimal for anything. Um, but it also, the convention center there, I think, has a very different feel than the convention center at, at MFF, where even within the convention center, things are kind of all over the place. Um, so I don't know I don't know how things would translate to that if, if MFF started doing it, but I guess all I can do is just kind of enjoy it for what it is now. And then if as they change, just try not to... Uh, try to enjoy it and uh you know go along with it to the best of my ability but i mean if it starts to feel like ac uh, i think that really that really changes i think a thing that a lot of people enjoy about mff because ac it's very challenging to just kind of have those chance encounters that that mff is so perfectly geared for you start writing into this thing where people want to control the growth of the convention. And I, I think they, they almost get angry with convention organizers for, for emphasizing growth all the time. And convention organizers have no control over growth. Right. Like unless they're capping explicitly. Like if you're just you're just doing the best you can and you're just trying to keep up with the numbers and you're trying to make a good con. The problem is when you make a good con, more people show yeah. up and now you're dealing with that level of growth. And that's kind of what you want because of the response the growth is from a positive response. So they're like, hey, focus on experiences, not your numbers. And we do. But the numbers come because we're doing the experiences right. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard to to keep the same experience all the time because to do that, you need to keep the exact same floor space all the time. So what makes a convention good or bad, like as long as the convention staff is doing its job of basically staying out of the way of you having fun, right? Because most of most of what people are enjoying at a convention is each other. Right. Right. And, and with some flavor on the side of like what kind of, how are the dances and how are everything else? But I mean, I've been to cons that have awful dances and people still have fun at those cons. Right. It's uh, it's just, it depends on who shows up and it depends mostly on your lobby area and your, I mean, really your aesthetics and your lighting of everything that's provided by the public space of the hotel. Yeah. 
Um, so AC has a difficulty with controlling its its user experience, if you will, because there are so many venues to have that experience in. So like the Westin is really nice, but it's a very small lobby space. Right. Uh, so you have really good areas. It's just they're all very segmented off, and that's kind of how AC has, has survived as as a convention center space. Um, but I mean, that's not to say it's bad. It's just different. It's a very different convention. Whereas MFF thrives on that on that primary area being the the Regency lobby. Yeah, I think I think AC's benefit is it's had the reputation of being sort of the mecca of furry conventions for quite some time, and so people will be drawn to it because of that. It comes at kind of a convenient time of year for a lot of people. Yeah. And summer. there's a big, I, I think there's also a big population of, of furries on the East Coast for whom it's a, a relatively convenient convention to go to. But I think like AC is one of those conventions that I enjoyed kind of in spite of, of what the space was like and not because of it, whereas MFF is completely the opposite. So you, you have this thing where uh, people at, or people not at AC. It's usually like your biggest criticisms are most likely going to come from people who have never been to the convention, like all the time. Like yeah. they're just the, they're the most ready to like just destroy your con. Uh, yeah. The, the bigger it is, the more, the more people will be out there hoping for something dramatic to happen that will make them, that will that, make it interesting that for will, them, right? That will reinforce their choice not to go to the convention or that they, so that they can say, oh, I knew it was going to be terrible and I'm glad I didn't go. Yeah, right? right. So one of the great criticisms that AC gets is that they're not spending enough time on their experiences. They're spending all their time on making their city like them, uh, which is so weird because like you can't do both, which is weird. Of course you can do both. They have different staffers for that. That's kind of a critical part of the experience, actually. Like now that you mentioned that, <laughs> yeah. the fact that, that Pittsburgh is so into it is I think one of the things that makes AC so special. It's very into it. And when you see the restaurants, like they have little signs like welcome yeah, to Furries and, yeah. and things like that. So Chicago hasn't gotten there yet Chicago, uh, to where... But I don't know that it's even possible for them to get there without changing their location because they're not in a, an area where that sort of density makes people kind of recognize that this is going on. I mean, if you drive through Rosemont, yeah, you'll see people in, in fursuits outside occasionally, but you're not going to see a lot of them because nobody is just casually driving past that hotel, first of all, because it's on a dead-end street. And second of all, because it's winter, so people aren't just going to be like casually hanging out outside a lot. Yeah. So it doesn't have... Like, AC is, is at a size and in a location where it's basically impossible for the surrounding area to ignore... And the same I don't think is necessarily true for MFF. Like smart businesses will know when MFF is and be like, oh, we should have, you know, delivery drivers and stuff on hand. But it's not like they have to do anything beyond that to be able to do a good job uh, meeting people's needs and getting business. Yeah, and that's kind of a unique thing that AC is always going to have is that that big block of businesses are just really into furries because that's the only business they have. They're downtown. They shut down otherwise. Yeah, I think that's a... a a really good goal for any convention that has their main space being in a downtown area like that to try to to try to build that relationship um but like in a suburb con that's just not going to happen um but there are other trade-offs like MFF is right by the airport and that's super convenient because the shuttle doesn't cost anything when it's actually there yeah what we really need is midway to be closer to it 
I don't know if that oh, would that be nice. Yeah, I don't think that that's something that they can just change. But if they can, they should work on it. I feel like the convention staff is is. I don't know. I think they're lazy if they're not going to get midway closer to the con, right? Oh my god, I can't believe it. I mean, they've had so many years, right? So many years. How are you a con for like well, almost twenty years, and Midway is no closer to your convention? Midway is still exactly where it was before. I need both airports basically right next to you guys. Get on it, right? How hard is that? Apparently, very difficult. Very difficult. I remember one time we got complaints uh, directed at us because our crosswalks were not timed well. <laughs> at, at TFF, yeah, at, at TFF. Is this at the location that you guys just left? No, we just left. Yeah, we had to leave because the crosswalks weren't well timed, and that was just that's probably well, can, right. So now you're fixing like, it, right? Right. We have to. So hopefully, we're working with the local area to make sure the crosswalks are better now. Yeah, downtown area. So let's see if that's a little clearer. But yeah, no, it's definitely that, that was the big decider. Like you know, I think everything else is solid, but I can't cross the street now without waiting. This crosswalk timing is atrocious. This is awful. Um. So you've got uh, a little under two months to fix your crosswalk yeah, timing. Yeah, the crosswalk issue. time. Uh, you know, make sure that is that actually is that your new job now that you're not the chair of TFF anymore. You're just uh, I just walk. Department. I just keep crossing the streets to see which streets are, are better timed. Yeah, yeah, and build a map for that. Good. Yeah, somebody needs to. Nobody needs to actually. It's just punishment, really. Here's a local map. Oh, does this have restaurants on it? No, but it tells you the timing of all the yeah, crosswalks. Uh, which buttons to hit? Which buttons appear not to do anything? Which button to hit? Like, there's more than one button. Sometimes there's more than one button. What kind of crosswalks do you guys have in Texas? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't done my job at all this year. Oh no. No, it's awful. I'm still unsure. I have a lot of doubt. That's fine. Do you want to end it? Do you yeah. Want, Can we end show, it all? Like, are show, you gonna end like, all? Oh. The episode. Okay. Do you want to end the episode? That was a much more existential question a moment ago. Yeah, I know that was you, that was probably that probably caught you off guard a little bit. Yeah, and I apologize. No, it's, would you like to? Would you like to end the episode? I think, I think I would. Okay. Uh, okay. We had a list of stuff that we actually wanted to say before we stopped I this time. I haven't wrote that down. Like a professional Never. would want to do. Uh, so this has been uh, Animal Noises, a podcast about furry culture. Uh, yeah, we have a Twitter. A thing that we didn't a thing that we didn't have. Yeah, exactly. A thing that we didn't have when we recorded the first episodes was uh, a Twitter account uh, or an actual website, and now we do. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at Animal Noises Now. Why is it uh, now? Or, because Animal Noises was taken. Are you serious? And yeah. Uh, if you want to work on like getting What's that guy there? to give you his username, because there's nothing. So anyone who wants to get us the Animal Noises username is totally welcome to try to do that. Uh, also, Animal Noises Now is literally the most characters you can fit. So I oh, couldn't perfect. even call it so anything we've, good. We've cluttered like, up um, as much as possible. Good. Well, I would have liked to at least call it like Animal Noises Podcast or Animal Noises Show, but that's kind of rough when you don't have enough characters and it would be Animal Noises SHO or Animal Noises Pod, which neither of those really oh, sounded great. I don't want to be a pod people. Okay, well, n- now that we've talked about a bunch of Twitters that are not ours, yeah, uh, that's one more one more reminder that we are at Animal Noises now. Animal Noise Snow. <laughs> Animal Noise Snow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, great. Yeah. This has been really helpful, and you can also find us on the internet at animalnoises.co. There you go. Uh, and that is a Tumblr, so you can follow us there. We are on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Play. We're on something else that I forgot the name of. Perfect. Um, That's my favorite service. Yeah, I love it. 
Um, but yeah, otherwise you can just listen to the episode straight up on the website. Uh, we also have an ask section on the website. Uh, if you have questions or things that you would like us to talk about. Similarly, if you would like us to talk about something, you can suggest it on Twitter or you can just ask us questions on Twitter. But uh, we really appreciate the response that we've gotten so far. Uh, yeah, I think all, all seven people are very nice to well, us. That's, that's all you need. That's one for every day of the week. I know, but how many of them are returning? Uh, well, all of them. Oh, God. Yeah, 100% retention rate. Wow. But yeah, thank you so thank you for uh, the support so far. We really appreciate yeah, it, you. and uh, obviously we want to try to keep getting better and making this more entertaining. And having that positive feedback helps a lot, as anybody who's ever tried to make something knows, or just any feedback. Yeah, actually, yeah. except uh, except for like microphone feedback, that's not. Good. Oh yeah, because I have really bad microphone. Well, not your. I just I, I, I meant in general. I wasn't meaning your it's microphone. Me. You have a very nice one. Uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Is this it? Did we do it? Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been Animal Noises. I am Ringer. I am Path. Thank you, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye now. Bye now.